We're in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. You can turn there this morning. This is a great time uh, for you to encourage Dave Franklin. If he's impacted your life, uh, please uh, reach out to him and just let him know how God has used him in your life. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. Let's pray once again as we open up the word. So, Father, as we open up the word, we just ask that you would speak to us, that you would show us our need for the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, you would empower us and impact us afresh, and that we could see of the glorious life in the Spirit. So, Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul has gotten to the place where he and the church of Corinth are sideways with one another, to the point where the church is looking at Paul's leadership, going, can we trust Paul? This is who we've known Paul to be, but Paul has not followed up with this visit that he was supposed to to make. So Paul finds himself in a very awkward and difficult position to try to rebuild that trust, to try to regain that trust, to the point where he asks the question, guys, do I need to send to you another letter of recommendation? Do I need to send to you a a letter of of commendation? Then he brings him to this point and he says, Your lives is my letter of recommendation. The church of Corinth, the fruit that God has brought through this church, is the evidence of Paul's leadership. That brings him to the deeper point that what God has done in the church of Corinth wasn't a work of Paul, but it was work of the Spirit. And so we see the glory of the Spirit in our text this morning. Verse 1, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Paul here, I think, is being a little bit sarcastic, where he's saying, do I really have to send you another letter of recommendation? After all this deep history with you and how we've done life together and how I've served you in this way, it's kind of like going to your kids and going, hey guys, do, do I need to give you a letter of recommendation so that you know that I love and care for you? It's like, no, it's obvious that I, I love and that I, I care for you. And Paul gets right to the point in verse 2. He says, for you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. He says, you're our letter of recommendation. You're our epistle, and your life is known and read by all men. If you are trying to evaluate the effectiveness of someone's leadership, you're looking at a spiritual leader, and you're going, how do I know that they're effective in the, the things of God. Look around and see who God has used in their life. There's an old saying that, that says, the test of leadership is not a title, but who's following, you know? Who, who's following? And so Paul says, look, the fact that I'm an apostle is evidence of the fruit that has been in your life. You're my epistle. Your life is being read by others. In verse three, clearly you are the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. As we look at the glory of the Spirit, the Spirit writes on our hearts, writes upon our hearts. Paul uses this illustration from the Old Testament when God gave the law. He wrote down the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. It was glorious. God himself wrote on these tablets of stone the Ten Commandments. But however, now, in the New Covenant, in the work of the Spirit, 
God is not writing on tablets of stone, but he's writing upon our hearts. He's writing upon our flesh. In Ezekiel 36, it says this, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. It's so powerful when the spirit of God writes upon our hearts. Paul's saying, it wasn't my work in your life, it was the work of the Holy Spirit. This church that was birthed in Corinth, the Holy Spirit was writing upon hearts to create this epistle, to create this letter that could be written by all. It's one thing to have a head knowledge of God, and it's another thing to have the Holy Spirit speak and write upon our hearts. Largely, that was my story growing up. I grew up in a Christian family, which I'm thankful for, and went to Christian school from preschool to 12th grade. And mainly, for me, I heard all of the rules and I heard all of the the regulations. I, I had a head knowledge of the fact that God loved me. I could tell you some verses of of God's love for me. But it wasn't personal, it wasn't impacting my life, it it wasn't real in my life. And in fact, I was hardening my heart uh, towards God. In my freshman year of high school, I was experiencing emptiness, there was a low in my life, and found myself crying out to God, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? It was only three or four days after I made that prayer that I was walking home from the gym, from the basketball gym, and I I didn't hear God's voice audibly. It wasn't like there was this audible voice from heaven. But there was a a quiet voice in my heart. It was the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. I'll never forget it. Eric, while you've wanted nothing to do with me, I've wanted everything to do with you. God was pursuing me with his love. As we sang this morning, where, where God's love is chasing after us. I came into my parents' house, our home, and I said, God loves me. God, God loves me. This truth that I had known my whole entire life had now been written deep within my soul. It was the Holy Spirit working God's testimony in my life, working God's love into my life. And the craziest thing happened the next morning. I woke up and I wanted to read my Bible. I'd never had that experience before. Reading my Bible was always a a have to. I have to read my Bible. It was, it was part of what I needed to do in a Christian family. It was part of what I needed to do in Christian school. But I wanted to, to read the Bible. So I started with the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, and just kept reading the New Testament. Now, for a 14-year-old guy who was way into basketball, reading was not a part of my life. The only time I did any reading was to just have to get through school, and I always found a way to make sure that I did not read the book for the book report. That was my MO. That was my way of getting through my education. And God was getting a hold of my heart and my life. And the Spirit of God was writing upon my heart. And it's amazing when a relationship with God gets to the heart level, when we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And thankfully, the same Spirit that got a hold of my life so many years ago is still alive and well in my life. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to me this morning through the Word of God. We're told by Jesus, he says, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit speaks to the church. 
That means the Spirit's always speaking to the church, but are we listening to what the Spirit is writing upon our hearts? We desperately need to hear from the Holy Spirit this morning. Would you agree? Every morning we need to hear from the Holy Spirit. As we get into the Word of God, God speaks through, through the Word of God. Lord, would you speak to me through the circumstances in my life, through your still small voice, but, but I need to hear from you. What, what does the Holy Spirit want to say this morning in regards to our marriages? What does he want to say in regards to your singleness? What does he want to say in regards to the glory of himself? What, what is he speaking? Because what Paul's saying is when I came to Corinth, it wasn't me that was doing the work. It was the Holy Spirit that was doing the work. The Holy Spirit was the ink that was writing upon the journal of your heart, making this wonderful epistle. And it's this ongoing story that God works in our lives if we're open to hear what the Spirit speaks to us, if we're allowing the Holy Spirit to write upon our hearts, where our hearts aren't hard. It's not this table of stone, but it's soft and it's open to what the Lord would speak. In verse 4, And we have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. This is not your normal resume. This is not your normal LinkedIn page, if you would. What Paul's saying is he's saying, it really wasn't me. It was the Lord. And we trust that God is doing this work in your life. Verse four is very significant. And we trust through Christ toward God. Paul's thinking about serving others. He's thinking about impact. And he's saying, we're trusting God. And we don't think that we're sufficient in and of ourselves. That's a battle, isn't it? But God loves humility. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to humility. And humility has an accurate view of God. This is who God is. And an accurate view of ourselves that we understand we're sinners. That we understand in us dwells no good thing. I'm not sufficient in and of myself. But our flesh, our sinful nature, wants to be sufficient in and of ourselves. We want to think that we actually have more to do it with it. We fail to see the favor of God and we think, man, it was my hard work or it was my personality or I brought something to the equation. And Paul's saying, look, I understand that I'm not sufficient in and of myself. As we continue to go through this chapter and look at the work of the Spirit in our lives, I think the work of the Spirit in our lives hinges on us understanding, I don't have it together. I'm not sufficient of myself. I need the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. But if we think that we're sufficient in and of ourselves, then we're not going to be relying upon the Holy Spirit. So in and of ourselves, we're not sufficient. But note the end of verse 5, but our sufficiency is from God. God is ready to pour out his Spirit in our lives to make us equipped, to make us sufficient, to be able to step into the things that God has for us. As we celebrate David's ordination this morning, there's an application for all of us to say yes to God's call. The Apostle Paul really is saying yes to, to God's call, even though sometimes he's, he's rejected. And God has called all of us to serve him. He's ordained good works for us to walk in and for us to be able to say, I can step into the things that God has for me, 
Not because I'm sufficient of myself, but because God is sufficient. And God loves to use weak and broken people for his, his glory. Our sufficiency comes from God. Christ is enough. In verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The spirit gives life, but the letter kills. Paul's contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant. You may be wondering, what does covenant mean? Covenant is God's contract with us. It's the way that God deals with us, that he's in relationship with us. And the old covenant was based upon the law. God gave the law to Moses, and it was glorious. When God gave the law, called Moses up to Mount Sinai, told the children of Israel, no one can come close to the mountain. They put a boundary around the mountain. Anybody that crossed that boundary would die. As Moses is in the presence of God, there's this thunder and cloud and the Lord speaks and gives, gives the law to the children of Israel. The problem wasn't with the law. The problem was with us. The problem was with the children of Israel. As Moses is receiving the law, the children of Israel decide to engage in idolatry. They get Aaron to make a golden calf and give the calf, this idol, credit for what God had done delivering them from Egypt, start engaging in sexual sin. Moses begins to hear all of this chaos that's taking place, and he comes down to find that the law, the Ten Commandments, has already been broken even before it was given. Isn't that interesting? Before the rules were even given, they were broken. Moses, in frustration, he throws the tablets down, and the Ten Commandments, these tablets are broken, and they're broken in reality as well. These rules are broken. 3,000 people died that day the law was given. When the Spirit was given in Pentecost in the book of Acts, Peter preaches and shares, and 3,000 people get saved. Think it's coincidence that 3,000 people died at Mount Sinai? At Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. For us, the Spirit of God gives life, but the letter brings death. It's the ministry of death. How many of you, your lives have been changed from the inside out by rules? Man, I've been changed by rules, right? Rules have their place, but that's really not where life change happens. Real life change happens as we experience the grace of God in the new covenant, where Jesus died for our sins, gives us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives from the inside out. We're instructed throughout the New Testament to walk in the Spirit, to follow the Spirit of God, to not quench the Spirit. The Spirit has a good way of letting us know, hey, spend some time in the Word. Don't say that. Stop talking right now. Where does that come from? This thought that comes to your heart and mind going, I need to stop talking or things are going to get a lot worse. Sometimes we start arguing with the Holy Spirit, don't we? Well, I've got a really good point to make. My wife really needs to hear this. Holy Spirit's like, shut up, you idiot. Shut up. Stop talking, right? That conviction that we feel, that's the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit leading us to love people. Holy Spirit leading us to, to step out in faith. The Spirit of God gives, gives life, but the letter kills. And the law had its place to bring us to Christ and cause us to see the need for the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to misunderstand. It's not that holiness and godliness is not important to the Lord. Because God wants us to live a, a godly and, and holy life. It's pleasing to the Lord. It's life-giving to us, but it's the means in which to get there. The means to get there is not rules. The way to a godly life is, is not the law. The way to a godly life is a walk with the Spirit. Jesus was excited for the Holy Spirit to be given to the disciples to the point where he said, it's to your benefit that I go away because I'm going to send you your helper, your comforter, your, your teacher. And that Holy Spirit then empowers us to be able to give us the means to be able to have a godly life. If you examine closely, a lot of times in the body of Christ, what we point people to is rules. And church rules don't work. Here's your rules for marriage. Do these things, and you're going to have a blessed and, and healthy marriage. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with the rules. A lot of times those rules come from right from God's word, but we don't teach people the importance of relying upon the Holy Spirit to be able to live that out. It's like, okay, here's the target, but good luck in being able to do it. It's just super frustrating. A lot of times with teens and young people, we teach them all the rules. Here, here's all the things that you need to do. Here's what God's requiring for, for your life, but we don't point them to a vibrant relationship with the Spirit where the Spirit's going to actually equip them to, to be able to do that. Most believers can tell you the rules. They understand the, the godly standard that the Lord has for us, but we're frustrated because we don't see any breakthrough in our lives. And here we're told that the Spirit gives life, but the letter kills. The rules, apart from Christ and apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, are going to kill, but the Spirit is going to bring life. Verse 7 but if the ministry of death, how would you like to have that? You've got the ministry of death. That, that's your, your ministry. And that's how Paul describes the ministry of, of Moses and the ministry of the law. It was glorious, but it resulted in death. Written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadily look at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. As Moses spent time in the presence of the Lord, his face began to shine to the point where the children of Israel could not look upon Moses' face because his face was shining with such glory. So there was glory that was attached to the giving of the law. And this is Paul's point in verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? If the ministry of the law was glorious, how will not the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For when what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. So Paul's saying, here's the ministry of the law. It was glorious. How much more glorious is the work of the Spirit going to be? And the work of the Spirit is, is so much greater. It's so much more grand to the point where 
it excels, it exceeds the work of the law. Verse 11, for what is passing away was glorious, what remains is more glorious. In response to the glorious work of the Spirit, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Could it possibly be a time for the church to be bold with the message of Jesus? In love? In love? But with boldness? To not be ashamed of, of the gospel? So many things are being declared. So many things are being preached. And Paul says, I have boldness of speech because of the work of the Spirit. Because I know the Spirit of God's alive in people's lives. And the Spirit of God's a, alive in, in my life. In verse 13, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Apparently, Moses was wearing a mask before COVID. <laughs> oh, a little too close to home, huh, guys? So as Moses was beholding the glory of God, he knew that this mo-glow, this reflection of God's glory was fading, so he put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel couldn't see the glory of God fading from his countenance. We tend to not want anyone to see glory that is fading in our lives. Athletes always want to go out on top. They don't want people to observe, hey, they don't quite have their game anymore. They're not quite as effective as they, they used to be. If we're starting to lose edge in any area of our lives, we're, we're going to pretend like we're not. Moses was the same way. He, he didn't want the children of Israel to see that this glory was fading and, and passing. And what Paul is declaring to us is in the new covenant with the Holy Spirit is we have a glory that's not fading. Moses' glory was fading, but, but our glory is, is not fading because we get to continually behold the glory of God. Verse 14, But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Paul uses the veil as an illustration. He says there's a veil that's over the eyes of the nation of Israel as they read the Old Testament. They don't see Christ in the pages of the Old Testament. When we've been able to go to Israel as a church, really fun trips to study the Bible in the promised land. Our tour guide is a man named Etai, and I'd appreciate you praying for him. He's become a friend over the years, and he's a wonderful man, super kind, and he knows the scriptures. He'll start off the tour every morning on the bus with reading a psalm. His Bible's marked up from Genesis to Revelation. I don't know that I know somebody that doesn't know the scriptures as well as Etai, but when you talk to him about the Old Testament scriptures where it's clearly pointing to Jesus, he can't see it. He won't see it. It's like there's a veil that's over his eyes. He believes that Christ exists, but he didn't believe that Christ is the Messiah. And many times that's the case when you're talking with a Jew is that they see the Old Testament scriptures, they love the Old Testament scriptures, but they don't see Christ in the Old Testament. And that veil remains on their eyes and on their hearts. 
Verse 16, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. So when we turn to Christ, this veil is lifted off of the Old Testament where we're able to see Christ in the pages of, of Scripture. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So the Spirit provides freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Spirit gives life, but the Spirit provides freedom. The letter kills, the Spirit brings freedom. Let's look at this in regards to reading the Scriptures, having devotions. If the motivation for reading the Scriptures is rules-based, okay, I've got to do my devotions, I've got to do my devotions every day, I've got to read through the Bible in a year. I have to memorize these, these scriptures. If it's just a duty, if it's just rules to be able to do, at the end of that, that's not going to necessarily bring freedom in your life. Because when you succeed at reading your devotions, doing your quiet time, having your Bible time, you feel good about it. You're like, man, I think God, God loves me a little bit more today because I, I read my Bible. He's ready to give me a merit badge. I read my Bible in a year that puts me in a special class of Christian, right? But then the flip side is, man, I didn't read my Bible today. I don't know if God loves me quite the same way. I don't know if his favor is in my life. Well, I haven't read my Bible in a long time. I haven't read my Bible in a, in a week. The, the end of that really doesn't bring freedom. It actually brings bondage. It's, it's a rules-based uh, relationship with, with the Lord. And who really wants that in relationship anyway? For those of you that are married, do you, do you want to have date night with your spouse because it's the rule? It's Monday night, you know. It's Ten Commandments in our house that so we have date night on Monday night. So, all right, babe, where are we going to go? Right. Guess it's back to Starbucks in the budget. Let's, let's do that, right? The, the value of, of date night is because you're, you're pursuing relationship. So what if our time in the Word was filled with the Holy Spirit? We're saying, I want to spend time in the Word to, to get to know the Lord. Not trying to earn or deserve God's love. And allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the Word. As we're reading... We're listening to what the Spirit of God would speak to us through the Word of God. You may find some interesting things that begin to happen. There may be a morning where you're ready to go spend time in the Word and it's impressed upon your heart by the Holy Spirit to close your Bible that morning and to sit and be still and watch the sunrise. And through watching the sunrise... You come to a greater knowledge of God that he is in control, that the spirit of God put that on your heart and put your, on your life. And you're like, man, I didn't read my Bible this morning, but I'm experiencing a, a freedom that is in the Lord. The spirit of God is gonna lead us to a godly life. The spirit of God is gonna lead us to, to love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness, the, the fruits of the spirit inside of that godly life, there's going to be freedom. Inside of that godly life, there's going to be liberty. Can I be honest with you this morning? As I was spending time in this chapter this week, I found myself going, man, there's so much of the Holy Spirit 
that I'm not operating in in my relationship with God. It's too easy for my relationship with God to be more of a Mount Sinai type of experience, to be the rules and to be the regulations. And I desire to experience more freedom that only comes through the Spirit. Of the Spirit of God being active in my life where I can go, you know what? The Spirit of God is providing life. The Spirit of God is providing freedom. The the Spirit of God is, is writing upon my heart. I need that. And thankfully, our Father loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. How many of you are already starting to plan some Christmas gifts? I know you grandparents are. I talked to my mother-in-law on the phone yesterday, and she's like, I already got all the kids' gifts. That's all taken care of. I'm like, it's not even November 1st, right? She's been thinking about it. It's important to her. She, she loves her, her grandkids. So we being evil know how to give good gifts to our kids. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But God still wants us asking for the Holy Spirit. He'll give the Holy Spirit to those who who ask, ready to provide that liberty and that, that freedom in our lives. Is there a sin that we're struggling with that we tend to always give into when we fall into bondage? And it's possible that we've been seeking freedom apart from the Holy Spirit based on our own works and rules. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to set up some rules here that are going to help me to not lose my temper. I got to work on my temper. I, okay. I got to listen more, talk less, listen more, talk less. Don't get angry. Don't get angry. Oh, I'm so angry about not trying to get angry, right? Before you know it, it hasn't led to any kind of freedom in, in your life. Or to be able to contrast that and say, Lord, I've tried this a whole lot. And there might be some breakthroughs. I really desire to have freedom from this sin in my life, but I can't do it on my own strength. Holy Spirit, I need your help. I'm ready to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you might find yourself hearing from the Holy Spirit, get offline. Nothing good happens on the internet at midnight. Shut it off and go to bed. Huh, I wonder where that idea came from. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's bringing liberty. The Holy Spirit's bringing, bringing freedom. And, and you start to see change, real change that's happening through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But again, that's humbling. It's hard to admit, I can't have victory over this on my own. I want to, but I need God's help. I need that help of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit provides freedom in a way that the law never could. Verse 18, but we all with unveiled faces. So Moses' face was veiled. There's a veil over our faces until we turn to Christ. But now, unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're able now in the new covenant, through the glory of the Holy Spirit, to behold the glory of God. As we behold the glory of God, as in a mirror, we're being transformed, we're being changed. Real change happens in our lives as we're beholding God's glory. And he's taking us from glory to glory. 
greater glory, greater transformation, greater change as we're beholding his glory. Would you turn with me to Exodus? Keep a finger there in 2 Corinthians, but turn with me to Exodus 33 because I want you to see the glory that Moses experienced and how we can apply this to our lives to want to behold the glory of God. This is Exodus 33, verse 18. Exodus 33, verse 18. Church, I want to try to prepare you for the most powerful prayer in the Bible. This is the most powerful thing that you can pray. Is right here what Moses is going to pray in verse 18. And he said, please show me your glory. He goes to God and he says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to know who you are in a greater way. Moses has already been walking with the Lord. The burning bush has already happened. All the plagues in Egypt. It'd be easy for Moses to say, I know the glory of God. But he understands there's so much more of God's glory to experience. And what's happening in this section of Exodus 33 is everything is a mess. Everything's hitting the fan. The children of Israel have already broken the Ten Commandments before it's even been given. He's got to go back to meet with the Lord to receive the Ten Commandments a second time. And in the midst of this mess, Moses has the wisdom to say, I want to see the glory of God. Would you say that things are a little bit messy right now? Is there an application for us October 25th, 2020? We can get frustrated about all the confusion and the chaos that's taking place that's very similar to what Moses was experiencing, or we can say, Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to behold your glory. Look how God responds in verse 19. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take my hand, and you will see my back, but my face you shall not see." Verse 1 of chapter 34, And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountains. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain." So he cut two tablets of stone like the first one. Then Moses rose early in the morning, went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon their children 
and their children's. This is the glory that Moses experienced. Now go back to 2 Corinthians and look with me at chapter 4, verse 6. I really want you to see this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Because everything that Paul is declaring to us is that we have an opportunity that's more glorious than even Moses. And I think most of us would say, man, that was pretty awesome. I'll take God hiding me in a rock and seeing the backside of God and hearing the character and nature of God. But look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. And beholding the glory of God, it says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. As God spoke light at creation, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Something that Moses did not experience is the revelation of Jesus Christ in human flesh that we get to witness in the Gospels, that we get to read about. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the express image of the Father. If you put a coin and you stick it on a piece of clay, that's the express image. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So church, the greatest thing that you can pray for you and your family and those that you love is God, show me your glory. God, I want to see your glory. Lord, I desire that you would allow my spouse, my wife, my precious wife to see your glory in a greater way. Lord, I'm concerned about this and this and this in my child's life. But even more than that, God, would you allow them to experience and see your glory specifically in the face of Jesus Christ, in the person of who Jesus is. We see the love of God expressed in the person of Jesus Christ, the Father sending his Son to come in human flesh, to die upon the cross and rise again. In church, crazy things happen in your life when you see Jesus. You start to be changed. You start to be transformed in a way that's far greater than even what Moses experienced. It's like the moon. The moon has no light of its own, but it's reflecting the light of the sun. And we're beholding the glory of God and the person of Jesus Christ. And God just begins to change us. God begins to transform us. Church, the Christian life is not behavior modification. We have something far greater than behavior modification. We don't have to try harder or do better, stop being angry, stop lusting, stop committing adultery, stop looking at pornography. No, behold the glory of Jesus Christ. As you behold the glory of Jesus Christ, he's going to change you. He's going to change you from the inside out in a way that the world never could. When you're focused on Christ, and that just happens over a period of time, you look back over a year or two and you go, man, I'm different. I'm different. I'm not perfect, but I'm different. God has done something in my heart and my life. But when I'm focused on my sin, focused on my struggles, focused on the sin of others, a lot of times that just leads to more defeat, more despair, more, more condemnation. So God will honor this prayer. He will honor this prayer. If we'll humble ourselves before him and say, God, I desire to see more of your glory in the person of Jesus Christ. The character and nature of God is going up. I've been waiting for you to ask. I've been waiting for you to ask. 
and then begin to listen for the Holy Spirit and listen to how the Holy Spirit is going to show us more of who God is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. So let's make that prayer our right, right now. Let's, would you stand with me together? And let's pray and ask that God would reveal his glory to us. Father, whether we've walked with you for a long time, are new in our relationship with you, or never trusted you for salvation, wherever we're at, we're asking by your grace and your mercy, would you show us your glory? Please, would you be kind to take us deeper into the knowledge of you? We believe the scriptures this morning that something has been given to us that's even greater than what Moses experienced. That we get to see your glory revealed in the person of Christ. So would you give us greater knowledge of who Jesus is? As a church family, what we need so much is a greater knowledge of you, Jesus. We pause and we want to hear, Holy Spirit, what you would speak to us. We want soft hearts that you would write upon our hearts. Would you speak to us?